and welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you're watching Facebook Live, first of all, thank you. Second, I want to mention that if you, at the end of every segment, we go off to commercials, come back in four minutes. The show goes on for two hours, a whole other hour uh, going tonight. Okay, so my top of the hour, I always, of the second hour, I like to do cruise through the news. These are stories I'd spend a lot more time on if I had it. The top story I want to hit, I think, is truly astonishing. And so I hope I don't spend the whole time segment on it. But this is a story about NPR. No friend of conservatives, uh, no friend of the Second Amendment, no friend of the Republicans. NPR placed telephone calls. NPR did a little research project. They took the numbers from the United States Education Department. The U.S. Education Department study announced in 2015 and 2016 that about 240 school shootings had happened. Horrific number, 240 school shootings. The NPR took that list from the Department of Education and began making calls to those schools. Just to say basically, hey, what happened? You know, what, what were the consequences? Whatever they asked, who knows? NPR even announced this. This is amazing they even admitted this. Of those 240 school shootings reported by the Department of Education, 66%, which is two-thirds, never happened. Never happened. Nothing happened. Complete fabrications. On top of that, uh, of those calls, um, 60, 25%, or about 60 of the schools, never even returned the phone call. So they don't even know what happened. But that 60 is on top of the 66%, the 161 that, that never happened. So 161 never happened. Another 60 never answered the call. Four of them said, you know, something happened. But when they described what happened, the incident did not even meet the standard to be included as a gun-related incident. And I want this to sink in because... The Department of Education, think about why they would jerry-rig those numbers. Why? Number one, to get funding, to point out what a drastic problem we have. We have to be funded more because look at this, we practically have a gun epidemic. It was, folks, I mean, there should be zero gun incidents in school. There should be zero, and schools should be equipped to handle them and trained to handle them. And in my view, they should have well-trained teachers or administration officials who want to be trained to have them armed. But whatever the solution is, the Department of Education did this because it gives them an argument to make to get money. But even worse, and a bigger consequence, how often do you think the gun grabbers on the American left use this kind of number? The people going to Washington demanding the NRA is terrible and you have to cut funding and you have to, you know, cut them off. You have to do mean things to the NRA and you have to take away guns and you have to pass all of our gun control legislation. These, this is not like, you know, there was a minor uh, statistical error in the data they collected. This is utter crazy. This is dishonesty and it has impact in America. And so next time you hear some wacko gun grabber arguing about the just explosion of school shootings, and they are, folks, everyone is horrific, and I don't want any of them to happen. I don't want everyone, anyone to ever happen again. I get that. But this is utter left-wing manipulation by the Department of Education to the left-wing agenda of being gun grabbers. 
Outrageous. Okay. Next one was, good news was that you likely saw that, um, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell, who I a lot of times don't like that well, but the uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell um, did make the senators come back to Washington in August. They basically had to spend their summer vacation uh, in Senate trying to work on confirming judges. And so the good news is they have made some progress. In this this, uh, August of 2018, we're now in September, but August of 2018, they made some progress. So at the start of it, they had 271 justices left to confirm left to confirm uh they still have 80 nominees pending the judiciary judiciary committee hearing 80 another 26 awaiting a floor vote but they've gotten some through but this is what it takes to get the democrats to actually vote on these nominees and to get the republicans frankly to get uh geared up kavanaugh hearing starts this tuesday the the hearing to, to confirm um hopefully confirm Justice Kavanaugh at the Supreme Court. Hugely, hugely important uh, thing. Uh, next thing, small thing, uh, Powerline, one of my favorite websites, uh, that just full of information at all times, just great, great website, Powerline. And they're, they're really prominent. They're in Minnesota. They have great thinkers, just great writers, serious, substantive, brilliant writers. They have decided, they took action, and they are now off of Facebook. They moved themselves over to Disquis, which I have to check out. But they're basically saying, instead of letting Facebook and social media simply destroy the conservative message, lie, hide, and all the things they've been doing, they're just done with Facebook. Now, I don't know what will happen. Um, I don't know how Disquis will do. I hope they do well. But at least a pretty prominent conservative organization said, try Disquis. Next thing, related to Facebook. Okay, so Facebook has been, if you don't know, they have been uh, censoring conservatives, they've been eliminating conservative website, or, you know, postings, they've been taken down, finding things offensive, on and on and on and on. Facebook actually has a group of over 100 employees banded together, conservatives on Facebook. Some guy wrote a memo, we have a problem with political diversity, and they made a Facebook page, Facebookers for Political Diversity, even inside Facebook. Unbelievable. This is Debbie Georgias, America Can We Talk. We come right back. We're going to talk about the latest on Mueller. Come right back. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, The foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, 
Your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I just love talking with you every Sunday. And, you know, I try to say one time during the show each week, the reason I do this radio show, I'm a lawyer by background. I've been a political activist, a stay-at-home mom, uh, a labor lawyer, all these things. But I do this radio show because I am just bursting with uh, not just love for America, but with the idea that it is incumbent on this generation of Americans, incumbent on everyone who understands the issues at stake facing America, that those of us who understand the, what America is uniquely, that is a country based on rights from God that come from our creator simply because we were born, that the country exists to protect those rights, that the idea of limited government is not just an idea that is a battle between big government, little government. It's about freedom or not freedom. And that the issues we face in this country, whether it is the threat of socialism, which is a threat, whether it's the threat of Islamism, whether it is devolving and dissolving into tribalism and racism and, and, and and, and distrust of each other, all of these things and how we handle them 
will shape America's future. I do this show because I am just extraordinarily grateful for the ideas on which our country was founded. It's an exceptional, extraordinary country. And it is the job of every generation to preserve it. We're, it is our time to do this. Okay, so that was my cruise through the news uh, in the last segment. I do. I might go back to that NPR story that, I mean, even NPR to admit that the Department of Education grossly exaggerated the number of school shootings in academic year 2015, 2016. That's a huge story. I'm sure it'll be in the front page of the Washington Post. Oh, wait. No, it won't be. You won't hear about those kind of stories if you just read sources like that. But okay. I think I'm done with that story. All right. So I want to turn to uh, the latest on Robert Mueller. And, you know, when this whole thing started, this Trump-Russia collusion story, we have had experts on the show. I've had John Guandolo on the show several times explaining the FISA warrant process and how much, how, you know, you just can't get a FISA court warrant uh, based on some, you know, goofball made-up dossier. And I've had uh, the brilliant expert Sidney Powell, um, author of License to Lie. She's all over all over national media talking about this case. And so you can't spend the whole show every week talking about this, but the story that began because people inside the FBI and Justice Department decided somewhere along the line in 2016, and maybe even earlier, that they were going to do everything they could do to prevent Donald Trump from winning the presidency. They wanted their gal Hillary, and this was... and so. And and then once he won the election, do everything they could think of to bring him down. This is that is the overarching explanation to what we're seeing. This Trump uh, Russia collusion story, nothing has emerged after months and months and months of digging to show that anything like that happened. Instead, you have Mueller apparently on an unending and unrelenting mission to destroy President Trump, even to the point of saying if he can't find a crime, he can at least have so discredited him that hopefully it causes the Democrats to win the 2018 midterms. But this is could not be a more egregious assault on the institutions of our country, on what the Department of Justice is supposed to stand for, what the FBI is, the power of our national law enforcement agencies being used as a political weapon on behalf of one party to destroy the other, the leader of the other party. That's what this case is. And it's gone on for months. We see prosecutions of people for things that happened 10 years ago that unrelated in any way to the Trump presidency, but it goes on and on and on. And I think someday people will look back at our era and hopefully what they'll be able to read in the history books is that finally the law-abiding, constitution-supporting Americans stood up and said, enough. We're not going to give the Democrats this silent coup. They cannot win. This, this is a coup. This is an, an attempt to overthrow a duly elected president and an attempt in the, at the same time to just destroy the entire agenda he ran on to make it impossible for him to move it forward. This is a very serious attack on America. So the only little story I'm going to add to it tonight, I, I, you know, I, there, there's so many things that happened, and I just can't spend all the time on the show talking about it, but 
If you listen to my podcast on Wednesday, by the way, I have a podcast on Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Central Time. Come right here to Facebook Live. If you're listening to my show on radio in Dallas or wherever you are um, or on the 660 AM app, uh, wherever you're listening, you can always go to my Facebook page, America Can We Talk, Wednesday at 3 p.m. I do my podcast. I spend a lot of time in the podcast talking about the story this week that emerged that when Hillary Clinton set up her illegal, you know, uh, I can't even think of the right words, you know, her, her, her email server in her own home. She went around the requirements of the State Department, set up her own server, unprotected. The story that came out this week was that a Chinese government-affiliated organization had hacked in and placed in that server a, uh, a coding that everything she sent or received a courtesy copy was sent to this Chinese hacker who in turn, of course, gave it to the Chinese government. So maybe we should ask China about all those missing emails from Hillary. But the real reason I raise this is this is a huge story. And Congressman Gohmert testified from the great state of Texas. Congressman Gohmert testified in Congress to say that they knew at least that these emails had gone from the server to some foreign entity, but he did not define, didn't say in his testimony what country. So this has now come out this week. And so what happened since that time, just to underscore how determined the, at this point, okay, let me finish this. I got two thoughts in my head. I got to pick one first. How determined the FBI is to stand by their man, stand by their story, stand by their farce, their hoax. They challenged the story, Gomert's story, and the story that also has come out from Judicial Watch, which has been a stellar, I should do a special tribute to Judicial Watch sometime, but anyway, stellar, stellar job in rooting out all that's happened. But what the FBI did this week, after this news came out that Hillary's server had indeed been hacked, the FBI put out an a, um, uh, the FBI put out a, uh, a statement essentially denying that, denying that it had done that. And I'm trying to find the exact language of that. Uh, but anyway, the FBI disputed it. Okay, FBI said it hadn't found ev- any evidence that the servers were compromised. So this makes it sound like, oh, okay, so they're saying it didn't happen. Let, um, but thank goodness for Congressman Gomert, you know, former judge, former lawyer, smart guy, doesn't get, doesn't get uh, you know, duped by them too often. He pointed out nobody said that the FBI discovered it. What this story was, as I said on my show, on my, on my podcast on Wednesday, this hacking into Hillary's server and sharing with the, um, with the Chinese happened, was discovered by the ICIG, the Intelligence Community Inspector General, one of the Inspector General's offices, not the FBI. So the ICIG is the one that uncovered this, that pointed it out, and that, so now that when the FBI says, we didn't, dis- no, no, we're denying, no such discovery was made by them. It's like a kid who knows his brother took the, cookie out of the cookies out of the cookie jar. He said, well, I didn't do it. But he knows who did. He knows it happened. I mean, that's what the, So anyway, so uh, Louis Gohmert digging right down, saying, no way. You know, this is just, I never said the FBI did. Uh, so that's an important thing, how much, how determined the FBI is to cover their tracks. At this point, these people are so invested in this faux, fake storyline this fake storyline of Trump-Russia collusion and the, and the unbelievable effort they made in the FBI to uncover it and to protect everyone, protect everyone's rights. They, ha- they can't come clean. 
They can't do it. They, they are invested until the end of time or until it's uncovered to stick with their story. On top of that, what came out this week was, you know, this whole thing got started because this Russian Hillary Clinton hires the Fusion GPS group that hires Christopher Steele that, that concocts a fairy tale Russian dossier. That dossier was the basis for the issuance by a FISA court, a Foreign Intelligence Service Act court, to allow spying on Carter Page, the Trump uh, guy who worked for Trump very briefly. But Carter Page was the one they got their FISA warrant against. But the point, another big story that came out this week was the Justice Department disclosed there wasn't even a hearing on the FISA court, uh, on the FISA court application. There was not even a hearing. There wasn't like John Guandolo who sat down on my show and described the kind of usual process. You go forward, you explain your, your basis for your uh, claim, and then they, they look at uh, the FISA court judge says, well, I don't know, this doesn't seem adequate, can you follow up? Okay. Because you're authorizing, this court's authorizing the federal government to spy on their political enemy. But no hearing was even held. No hearing held. Just took that warrant, took that uh, warrant application based on a hokey, hoaxy, a hoax dossier, and ran with it, giving them the right to spy on Carter Page. This by itself is an outrage. One more outrage was the testimony that came from Bruce Orr, which I, he's a former deputy attorney general at the DOJ, Orr testified this week. I'm going to have to tell you about that after the break, but it is truly another amazing thing. Come right back after four minutes Facebook Live. Everybody else, come back after the break. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. If you are listening to America Can We Talk, you know that my show is dedicated to preserving the exceptional idea that is America. I want to take a minute to tell you what I mean by that. Unlike almost every other country on the planet, America's culture, our very identity, has nothing at all to do with ethnicity, race, or national origin. Instead, America is all about ideas, including the most basic idea that each of us, simply because we were born, has the God-given right to live out our individual version of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness within the guardrails of the Constitution and our laws. Preserving this requires patriots in every American generation to grasp the importance of this truth, to recognize and fight back against the subtle and not-so-subtle relentless attacks on American liberty, and to speak up for and defend the unique culture of American-style liberty. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. 
America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. You can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting fire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. You know, we this I always say it's the fastest two hours of my week, and it always is. I have more stories than time. So I'm going to drop that. I was going to give you some more information about the Mueller kit thing. I mean, just the cabal of players still involved, still permitted to be involved in the Mueller team, on the Mueller team. This guy, this character, Weissman, among many others, all, as we're learning from the Bruce Orr testimony last week, all aware where the dossier came from, all aware. Weissman knew about that, and now he's on the prosecuting team with Mueller. I mean, the, this is just a band of thieves, and I, I don't know what will happen. I don't know if we'll ever be able to root out all the um, wrongdoing, but I do think it's one of the things in America, if we don't, we're really, we, we are allowing our country to uh, be diminished, the, the uh, importance of the rule of law and the same law applicable to everyone. We're, we're allowing the, the just the weaponizing of the federal government against the political enemy, something that you know doesn't have any place in America. But I'm not, I'm going to change that story because I want to talk to you about some stories relating. I used to do these things, snowflake updates, and these are I mean they're just stories happening in college campuses. But I want to mention about these. I'll tell you these stories. These are actually things happening. And, you know, they're, they're not good. And you, you can shake your head and go, what in the world? But just remember, you know, some of these are at the Ivy League schools, like, which doesn't make, frankly, doesn't mean the kids are any smarter. But it means that they got in Ivy League schools and they probably will hold promising, prominent policymaking positions in this country. They will hold positions in the State Department and in the, uh, in the Justice Department and in, in levers of high power and, and, and 
private industry. These people, and these are true of all college students, these are our best and brightest. And I want to share with you some of the things that they are learning and that are happening in college on these campuses today. And I'll, I'll say, if I had to summarize this, it is we've lost the ability to believe in and agree that truth exists that such a thing as truth exists and that it matters. So let me start with something that happened at, the, at Brown. Brown University is actually one of the Ivy Leagues. Um, I don't think I knew that for a while, but anyway, Brown University is one of the Ivy League schools. A professor at Brown University uh, did a, a study, and this professor's name is eluding me at the moment, but anyway, she did a study, this Brown University professor did a study uh, related to transgenderism, and she described the study um, it, was, it actually got published. It got printed in an um, organization, called, a, a scientific journal called PLOS, P-L-O-S-1. It was called, it was, the professor's name is Lisa Littman. She did a study in transgenderism called Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria in Adolescents and Young Adults, a study of parental reports. The gist of her study, she collected by information by talking with parents of young people who had begun to go through this the gender, gender dysphoria, this idea that even though I'm, I, my body is female, I'm really male, um, or if I'm male, I'm really female, and, so, and, and wanted to actually act on changing their gender. They, they had and taken various steps to try to change genders. What her study said and what she reported was that this study, I mean, to put it in plain English, a lot of the, these incidents of dysphoria, of kids being confused about their gender, basically came down to that this is not physical, this is not genetic, this is not a psycho, this is, this is simply a suggestion of, it's, it's a fad trend. It's a trend in thought. What she discovered was that young people hanging around together, spending a lot of time reading and, and analyzing the data online and, and watching all sorts of videos online related to transgenderism, that they, she basically, she called it rapid recent growth in transgender treatment centers that have contributed to this, to this phenomenon. But here was her hypothesis, and then I'm going to tell you what, how Brown reacted. Parents have described clusters, clusters of gender dysphoria outbreaks occurring in pre-existing friend groups with multiple or even all members of a friend group becoming gender dysphoric and transgender identified in a pattern that seems statistically unlikely based on previous research. Parents describe a process of immersion in social media, such as binge-watching YouTube transition videos and excessive use of Tumblr, immediately preceding their child becoming gender dysphoric. These descriptions are atypical for the presentation of gender dysphoria described in research literature. So her basic hypothesis was that, and based on kids and families she talked to, parents she talked to, is that this was being passed around among pre-existing friend groups 
the power of suggestion, talking each other into it. Yeah, now that I think about it, maybe I'm not really what I, I thought I was my whole life. And so this, what she concluded from a scientific study, she's a, I mean, she's published studies on all sorts of things on, on, on I mean, she's a, she's a, a Brown professor. The, the, what she concluded was that this gender dysphoria, this, this new, just kind of, you know, trendy attraction of transgenderism is just that trendy attraction that many of the people, the students involved in the study, when they got to actually examine them and interview them, did not have any of the other symptoms that kids who tend to, who have gone through this have had, that this was a, an outcome of their, of the power of suggestion, of talking each other into it. And yeah, maybe that's how I am too. So this, of course, flies in the face, flies in the face of the vocal transgender lobby. So her, her report was published. She had, as described in one article, a transgender activist feeding frenzy attacked Brown and said, you cannot publish this. You have to take it down. You can't put this out there. And Brown issued an apology and took the study down. Now, I got to tell you, folks, it's one thing if Brown wanted to respond and say, we're terribly sorry. I mean, these people who were complaining, of course, are offended. And you can't say that. You're not allowed to have, you know, back to my first hour, you're not allowed to have an opinion that we don't agree with. This is the, this is the totalitarian left. You can't have any opinions unapproved by us. So what happened, what should have happened is Brown should have said, look, we'll have her share her data with you. You can take it to some other expert or you could have an expert come up with a different study. Brown just capitulated because in this 2018 world of absolute feelings over facts, humoring the tiniest minorities and their confusion was a preferable answer to saying, no, we're going to stand by our professor. They've actually had a group of professors and parents backing the professor who wrote the study, saying, hey, wait a minute, let, let her put it up. Somebody else put something else up. But this whole idea, how dare you attack the transgender identity by pointing out that it seems to be actually a fad trend of friends influencing each other. They're saying you can't even say that. And Brown said, okay, we'll be quiet wrong decision. Okay. Another one, just to share. Okay. Now I only have a couple of minutes left in this segment. I have like seven stories I want to share about colleges, but I mean, all these stories matter in shaping America, what these colleges do. Very quick story and 9-11, the 9-11 Memorial, a a college group, the Young America's Foundation tried to place at a college, uh, Ripon, Ripon, R-I-P-O-N. I I don't know how it's pronounced, Ripon College. They wanted to put up posters from 9-11. The original 9-11, po- the picture and the towers falling, all that. And the uh, campus said that that would uh, cause their Muslim students to feel uncomfortable. And so they didn't want to have, they had students from a Muslim background would feel singled out and or harassed. So, so the students, uh, I mean, there are some back and forth. The YAF is claiming that they told their, the, the posters were banned and the school saying, not nah, really banned. We just want them to think of something different. Okay, another one, uh, UC Berkeley has a bunch of classes coming up related to race. I think I'll say that for the last uh, segment. Um, Justice Department, our Justice Department under President Trump is joining, is joining a lawsuit, not joining, but gave a statement of interest, uh, which is an official kind of document, statement of interest, 
to the Asian student group suing Harvard for admission discrimination. The Asian students are essentially saying that, you know, we're discriminated against. We, uh, kids with different backgrounds, get in more than we do, even though we have better records, better academics, better, all the things they measure. Basically, they're saying Harvard engages in uh, ethnic discrimination against Asian Americans. And the, the data are irrefutable, and the data is overwhelming. And Harvard is kind of saying, yeah, but, you know, we're, we're trying to support a diversity uh, in other ways. And so it's an interesting case because the Department of Justice weighed in not officially, but a statement of interest supporting the Asian students. So I, I kind of like, it's a great discussion, which I can't get to uh, today, I guess. But I'll tell you one last quick thing I wanted to mention in the 10 seconds I have in this segment. A common core math, t- a leader of common core math has a big statement about how to think about math in the future, which I share with you right after the break. If you're on Facebook, come back in four minutes. On radio, we'll be right back after the break. Thanks for listening. Do you know that one of nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, from free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. 
This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Welcome back. I'm Debbie George Adams. Just love, love talking with you every week on America Can We Talk. We were talking before the break about some things that happen in college campuses, and I was pointing out how just astonishingly vital it is that we feel as a society responsible for molding and shaping America. That not, when we hear these stories at college campuses, that we don't just shake our heads and go, God dang, that's not a very good thing. But we, we think about, you know, what future of the country is being shaped by what these colleges are teaching? And what do we do? To st- I have ideas of what to do about it, but I want to share something uh, from Berkeley. Now, Berkeley has always been very left. I mean, obviously, it's a very, very left-wing school in California, but a very reputable one. I, I have good friends who are so proud because their son or daughter got into Berkeley, and I was thinking, man, you know, I would refuse to pay. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't stand it. But Berkeley this fall... On this astonishing, relentless focus on racial hate, which is really what they are focused on. They, they call it whiteness, but they're, they're making skin pigmentation, which no one in their life has ever chosen. It's just, it is your product of your birth. But making whiteness a subject of study, a subject of ridicule, mocking, You're supposed to apologize because you happen to be born white. But I'm going to list you some of the classes UC Berkeley is teaching this fall. And then I'm going to contrast it with a clip from Candace Owens, the stellar Candace Owens. Okay, so UC Berkeley offering classes this fall. One is a, a semester class called Deconstructing Whiteness. Okay, Deconstructing, so that's like taking apart, as though it's it's a, you know, you could deconstruct a philosophy, but this is deconstructing a skin color. And the course description says, we'll focus on the negative aspects of whiteness and the responsibility of white people to take stands against white supremacy movements. The course will also address concepts like environmental racism, gentrified food practices, and, I'm not kidding, white comfort slash coddling. 
The description says, this decal aims to confront uncomfortable conversations about privilege and positionality to understand where white bodies have the responsibility responsibility to be in movements against white supremacy and in solidarity with marginalized peoples and color groups of color. This class will not be to coddle white fragility, but to deconstruct and relearn whiteness through case studies, speakers, and intense critical readings. One nutcase goes on to describe a course instructor there, goes on to describe the premise of our work in this course threatens the very foundation of Berkeley. We deconstruct this university as a colonial, imperial research institution. These courses are part of a movement that reconciles with research historically as a site of violence and colonization against marginalized communities and works to reclaim control over indigenous and communal ways of knowing and being. Okay, tell me, one kid who takes that class, what is that going to help him or her do as a grown-up? What? Be angry at everyone else around them because of their skin color? Or feel guilty because they happen to be born white, and even though, of course, no one has any control over what color their skin is when they're born, somehow you're supposed to spend the rest of your life feeling guilty. And everyone else who isn't, uh, has, isn't part of the evil whiteness race is supposed to feel superior and, and permitted to, in fact, encouraged to belittle people because of their skin color. This is, I mean, it's so outrageous, and it is living in the past of colonization, living in the past of slavery, perpetuating just endless resentment and hate and division in this society. It is outrageous. It is an absolute effort to keep America, to make America more divided, to keep it divided, to instill people with the most ignorant, the most ignorant of mentalities, which is just I'm going to hate someone because of their skin color, which is exactly the whole thing that the effort to end discrimination was all about, to stop judging people by their skin color, but instead to think as an individual, to think as an individual about issues and facts. You know, I didn't even get into it in the last uh, segment, and I, I guess I'm going to run out of time trying to do Maybe I'll do it in my podcast this week, but there was a long story about a very, very prominent math professor. She uh, created part of the Common Core text. She teaches future public school teachers. She's going to be speaking at a major mathematics education and society conference in January, and she put out an outline of her talk. She's basically changing math education in America into an attack on white supremacy, an attack on, in her terms, she wants to infuse math with politics. She wants an insurgency by the people to subvert public institutions and American self-rule through ethno-mathematics. I'm going to have to do this in my podcast this week because I want to get to it, Candace. So there's one mindset the mindset is that we're going to live and breathe and focus only entirely on the color of your skin, which no one chose. And now I want to play a question and answer posed to Candace Owens, the brilliant young Candace Owens, who's been on the show before. She's all over, everywhere talking and basically saying, let's stop agreeing to be victims. Let's not, we don't think with our skin color. Let's think for ourselves. Candace Owens discussing, someone asked her, how can you, you, know, how can you support and love America because of the history of slavery and, and whatever the question was. She's so eloquent. This is Candace Owens, clip one. 
How do you argue against people who say that, you know, America was built on uh, racism and uh, sexism, slavery, etc.? Because, you know, slavery was part of our constitution. Be among the first of the black people to say, I really am sick and tired of hearing about slavery. Like, I mean, at what point are we going to stop focusing on black past and start focusing on black future? I don't care. It doesn't impact my life. It's over. You have to move on. Everybody in the history of the world has lived through something. I'm sitting next to a Jewish guy who has lived way sooner than, than slavery was, just in the 1940s. They, they survived a near genocide, okay? You, at a certain point, you have to stop looking backward, and it seems that there seems to be this obsession on the left of going over your history over and over and over again. Let me tell you something. Your history is not going to help you with your future, and that's the problem that people have so much. They're so strapped to the stale existence of black history. I'm, I'm, me, personally, I'm completely over it. So, like, really, guys, like... A phenomenal answer. It, it, and you just got to move on from it. The narrative is it's closed. We've closed a chapter. If, of if it's a competition of whose heritage suffered the most, it's going to be an endless argument endless of oppression game. Olympics that no one's ever going to win and they're going to have a self-appointed victor. Show me a person which is where they're from. I can tell you how right. they've been oppressed. We've all been oppressed. Let's all hang our heads low and talk about how much you've been oppressed and then move on. Okay, Candace Owens is brilliant. She, the other voice you heard in that I meant to mention is Charlie Kirk. You know, he's a Turning Point USA guy, and the two of them, and then the, the, between them on the stage at this some college event was a young man who's Jewish. And you know, she was making the point, uh, pointing to the guy sitting next to her, you know, he could spend his life saying, hey, we had the Holocaust for crying out loud. We had the effort to destroy the Jewish people. We have anti-Semitism thriving all over the world, living in, you know, happily in socialist mindsets in Western Europe. So anti-Semitism is growing. But you can decide to live in the past and decide to live your life based on skin color. Or you can decide to move forward. And this Candace Owens message, I got to tell you, folks, there's a lot of discussion on social media relating to uh, all these issues, relating to race, relating to the, you know, uh, agenda of the left, which is to which Berkeley personifies. Berkeley is saying, live your life in the mindset of the color of skin you happen to be born with. Live your life hating other people because of their skin color. Live your life focusing on the, how much pigmentation is in your, how much, I can't remember the thing is in your skin that makes color melanin, whatever it is, you know, I, whatever it's called, you know, live your life focusing on that versus ideas. Universities used to be the center of ideas to talk about exploring truth, to talk about having the, you know, being informed by the ancient, you know, philosophers and by the leaders uh, in, in the world on mathematics and literature and science and research in chemistry and physics and biology. There was a, and even in history and, and in, in English and in writing, there was, there was a breadth and a determination to learn what you are hearing out of Berkeley is we don't care about truth. We don't care about the future, we're going to fixate on with the eventual goal of destroying the fabric of American culture, the unifying nature of the American culture, which is not based on race. We're going to destroy that culture and create a generation of people who can't think. In fact, a lot of what they do is discourage thinking. They encourage this just massive attack on 
people because of the color of their skin. I do want to take the time. I guess I have it tonight in the um, yeah this segment about this math teacher just to understand how crazy. Now, if you have, I was never that hot at math to tell you the truth. Um, you know, it was like my hardest subject. So I admire people who are good at it. So this lady's smart enough. Her name is Rochelle Gutierrez, like G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. She's at the University of Illinois at the Urbana-Champaign campus. She's a professor there. Many published writings. She teaches public high school math teachers. She participates in not only the Common Core uh, curriculum, but in all sorts of math curriculums around the country. She helps decide which education professors get tenure at more than a dozen public universities. She's been a visiting lecturer at Vanderbilt. This is not like, like you know, some nutty Occupy Wall Street person. This is a person with, you know, actual, uh, an, an actual resume. Here are the things. So, so her main thing she's pushing is the idea that we have to have an insurgency by the people, subvert public institutions, and American self-rule through ethnomathematics. She is talking about the importance of infusing math with politics. She wrote paper, one paper called Separate and Unequal, Students with HIV, AIDS, and Mathematics Education, Beyond White Privilege, Toward White Supremacy, and Settler Colonialism in Mathematics Education. One more, Absence of Diversity in Collegiate Upper-Level Mathroom Classes, Perpetuating the White Male Math Myth. Okay, folks, if this lady is influencing public high school teachers to stop so little Johnny doesn't know what 6 times 7 is anymore when he finishes high school, but he sure knows about ethnocentral math garbage, we're really in trouble. This is very bad for America. Also bad is I'm out of time. I can't believe this flies so um, by so quickly every week. I'm Debbie George Ass. My show is called America Can We Talk every Sunday at 6 Central Time. Right here on Facebook. And you can go on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and see my podcast then. Until then, speak up for America, greatest country on earth. And come back to my show where I always talk truth about America. Love talking to you. America Can We Talk, truth about America. America.